Welcome to Grand Rounds Nation on ReachMD, presenting the best Grand Rounds from across the country. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. This week's Grand Rounds comes to us from a Prova Education Live event titled Nutritional Trajectory for the Preterm Infant at Discharge. Here's Dr. Deborah O'Connor, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Toronto and Director of Clinical Dietetics at the Hospital for Sick Children. Good morning, everyone. So the objective of my uh, uh, session today is to incorporate new research evidence into medical practice that will improve nutritional clinical decision making for preterm low birth weight infants at the time of discharge from hospital. So really I'm, I'm going to focus uh, a large part in this talk on the human milk fed infant and I'm actually going to talk to you about newer evidence about the discharge period. So I'm going to talk around some of those other issues, talk about formula-fed babies, and talk a little bit about in-hospital nutrition, but I think uh, the nutrition post-discharge for the human milk-fed infant is um, the area that is giving uh, people a lot of angst right now, certainly in Canada. Now, uh, many of you in the room, this uh, first statement's not going to be a big shock to you. Um, a greater percentage of very low birth weight infants leave hospital exhibiting signs of compromised nutritional status and growth retardation compared to the same cohort of infants at birth. But essentially what you can see from this uh, data, first authored by Jim Levins as part of the Neonatal Research Network, is at birth about 10% of babies in that network uh, had um, birth weights less than the 10th percentile at birth. And at 36 weeks post-conception, around the time these babies went home from the units, 97% um, of these babies were below the 10th percentile. Now, um, a weight below the 10th percentile doesn't automatically say you have suboptimal nutrition, but from a card-carrying nutritionist, that's your sort of first screen that you need to kind of look in greater detail. So why do very low birth weight infants exhibit suboptimal nutrition at hospital discharge? They're just really difficult to feed, very difficult to feed, just in sort of my career time, you see more standardized uh, in-hospital nutrition that's really helped and there's still a ways to go. But these babies are really hard to feed. Uh, fluids are often restricted due to clinical morbidity such as chronic lung disease, PDA, there's a certain amount of glucose and lipid intolerance. The enzyme systems are less um, mature, therefore um, the efficiency which, if, which any given nutrient is metabolized will be um, lower in a very low birth weight baby than a healthy term-born baby. Um, infants demonstrate immature, uncoordinated sucking and well beyond in the discharge period for many infants. So you can't always count on for every infant that they're going to be able to upregulate their intakes to uh, um, make up the additional nutrients that are required for their accelerated growth. And you still see a lot of suspension of feedings for clinical procedures, neck or suspicion of neck. And if a baby has, they think the baby does have neck, that baby could not be uh, fed for many days. This is a very classical um, diagram that I'm going to spend a little bit on t uh, time on with Embleton, who follow about 150 babies. These are babies in the UK. And I will tell you, there were a lot of human milk feeding babies in this sample, but I, just one slight difference, certainly compared to Canada, when these babies get up to full feeds, 150 mils per kilogram per day, they don't uh, use a concentrated fortifier. In this study, they mixed it half and half with preterm formula. 
so 24 kilocalories per ounce. So this is a, would be a very sunny picture in terms of growth, and certainly compared to Canada, where we wouldn't do that. We would try to use all the uh, mother's own milk that we could. So what you can see here in this diagram at the top, this is uh, weekly intakes, and it's divided into the solid bar, the babies born greater than 30 weeks post-conceptual age. The open bars are babies less than 30 weeks conceptual age. In terms of their weekly energy intakes, they're very similar on a, a, kilo, a kilocalorie per kilogram basis. They both start with an energy deficit. But you can see these babies born less than 30 weeks post-conceptual age. These would be your very low birth weight babies. You can see they just continue to accumulate an energy deficit through the hospital period. And these are babies that were fed um, you know, in terms of nutrients and energy as prescribed, but for the aforementioned reasons, suspension of fees due to clinical procedures, et cetera, et cetera, they continue to acquire an energy deficit. The same sort of story for protein. Again, the two groups, their intakes of protein were very similar through the hospital course, and they both started out, started uh, life with a, a protein deficit. This is the first week of life. Down goes the very low birth weight infants continuing to acquire a protein deficit. At um, birth, they're Z score zero, so that's the babies are born at 50th or 50th percentile where you would expect them to be. And both groups uh, lose um, Z scores. The Z score diminishes here by the first week of life. It's around minus one. And um, so this is one standard deviation away from the mean. Babies that are um, born greater than 30 weeks post-conceptual age, they start to do a little better as the hospital course progresses, but uh, the very low birth weight babies do not. So these data, again, are somewhat of a sunny picture because these are not exclusively human milk-fed babies. These are babies fed half human milk and half um, a concentrated preterm formula. So um, the nutritional status of babies at discharge, they tend to have an accumulated energy and protein deficit. The growth status is certainly below that of term-born babies. Very low birth weight babies are missing their third trimester of pregnancy. Many nutrients, such as iron and um, things like docosahexaenoic acid, they tend to move across the placenta in the third trimester. So they have lower body sores. And we didn't talk specifically about calcium, but they would also have deficient um, bone mineral status. So should we be concerned about nutrition of low birth weight infants after discharge? I always used to get, well, Debbie, you're kind of short, and you turned out all right most days. And so why should we be concerned about nutrition after discharge? There's a whole variety of evidence sort of summarizing the evidence, and we've written a couple review articles on this, but there's really good evidence, things like human milk feeding and uh, having energy and nutrient intakes that meet recommendations, certainly will reduce things like the morbidities and mortalities, frequency of hospital readmission, and are certainly associated with cognitive and motor development. We know things like breastfeeding will actually reduce bone mineralization. That doesn't mean we shouldn't promote human milk feeding. That just means we probably don't have a downright how to promote um, uh, maximal bone mineralization in exclusively breastfed babies. And we know certain select nutrients in the post-discharge period will improve bone mineralization. And we, and we also reminded we don't want to go too far the other way. Breastfeeding is often associated with a reduction in things like insulin resistance and cardiovascular disease and obesity later on. 
Uh, but we don't want to get too carried away and set, uh, set babies up for um, these situations later on. And this doesn't mean starve the baby so that they won't get these things. This means, you know, don't feed well above the recommended levels um, uh, to set them up for these situations. So our approach is to promote human milk feeding whenever we can, minimize in-hospital nutrition deficits when they are there to get right on them, to correct them immediately, and then once they're corrected, to get off the elevated nutritional intervention. So human milk feeding, uh, we'll tell you human milk fed low birth weight infants are likely to be at greater nutritional risk than their formula counterparts at hospital discharge. These are some data we published a few years ago. This is a large cohort of babies from Chile, the UK, and various units across the US. Some of uh, those uh, people that participate in the study are in this audience today. And when you look at these babies at uh, birth, we divided the babies, this big cohort of babies, 463, and with very detailed information, exclusively human milk-fed babies are in the blue, exclusively formula-fed babies are in the orange, and the two groups in between. You can see these groups don't differ very much at all at day one of life. But by term-corrected age, and in this study that would have been four weeks after discharge, this really kind of shows you are what you eat. The size of the babies very much reflected what they were being fed. And the same kind of graph could be produced if we looked at things like length and so on. So there's been a lot of worry about this. Clinicians have worried about this. There's been a whole variety of review articles. It's one of those areas where the review articles exceed the actual studies done. And that's sort of an indication that more research is necessary. Um, so in the absence of evidence, practices vary widely. And the paradigm used to be after discharge, you either supported breastfeeding or you supported good growth. And they, they were conflicting in uh, paradigms. And so what I would challenge you today is a baby that does not grow well after discharge, I can tell you, at least in uh, our centers, they will get switched over to formula fairly fast. So what my, our, the paradigm that I look at is to support breastfeeding, you have to have a baby that grows well. And that might be uh, providing some nutrient fortification to the mother's own milk. The um, European Society of Pediatrics, Gastroenterology, and uh, uh, Hepatology and Nutrition, they do recommend, make recommendations for human milk-fed babies, and they say babies with subnormal weight for post-conceptional age at discharge, they should receive some kind of fortification. The American Academy of Pediatrics in their most recent handbook, they don't say very much at all. They say that there's a paucity of data, totally true, and they recommend that these infants require supplemental vitamins and iron as well as more careful monitoring of growth parameters. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit of a study that we've uh, done in Canada. So uh, in this study, we uh, enrolled babies between 750 and 1,800 grams at birth. The babies were between 26 and 32 weeks gestational age, and these were predominantly human milk-fed babies at, at discharge. So greater than 80% of their feeds every day was as human milk. That could be expressed, that could be at the breast, that could be fortified, what or not. But these were very predominantly human milk-fed babies. So we have about a third of the babies in the units in downtown Toronto area that will go home like this. So we, they're very predominantly human milk-fed babies. Uh, we excluded any babies that the clinical team said, hey, we don't feel comfortable with this baby going home on human milk alone. And the, these would be babies that they felt that they needed to have at least one feed a day of concentrated to 24 kilocalories per ounce or more, or 50% of the daily feeds every day needed to be fortified. 
This was a 12-week intervention, kind of going into that solve the problem and move on kind of approach. We, this was, there were 39 babies in the study, and we used a powdered human milk fortifier. We, we did this from a strictly mercenary point of view. We can count the packets. We could do compliance. You could do this with many other ways, but that's what we used for this study. Um, so what we did is, so we set things up so approximately half of the daily human milk feeds were full of, uh, fortified at full strength, 24 kilocalories per ounce. We gave them a calculation at discharge at four weeks and eight weeks by weighing the baby. We assumed based on other data that we had locally that the babies were consuming about 150 mils per kilogram per day, and we divided by two, and when they were told to fortify that baby at full strength. They could feed the babies every other feed like that, or so the more um, smarter mothers in our study, they would get dad to feed this to the baby at night while they had a nice, nice sleep. Um, so in terms of vitamin and mineral supplementation and lactation support, uh, as per routine practice, the babies going on human milk alone, they would get uh, vitamins A, D, and C. And the inter uh, infants in the intervention group, we were a bit uh, worried. This was sort of the pre higher vitamin D error, but what we did was we gave them um, 20 international units of vitamin D, it's a product called Divisol, and no vitamins A and C. All infants were prescribed iron, and intensive lactation support was provided to both groups, because we had never sort of sent home babies on human milk fortifier, and we just wanted to uh, err on the safe side. So these are some of the results from this study. So the babies were fed to 12 weeks this um, nutrient intervention and so that would be about two and a half months corrected age. The babies that got the uh, fortified, half their feeds as fortified human mouth, they had better weights and this continued until the first, uh, end of the first year of life. This, these are their lengths, again you saw separation of the lengths uh, during the intervention period and you saw this uh, difference in length sustained for the first year of life. And in terms of head circumference, same thing, but by the end of the first year of life, the difference disappeared. Uh, in terms of bone, there was certainly more bone on these babies at 4 and 12 months of life. We did these by DEXA scans. Um, but when we corrected for length, those differences disappeared. So did we have more bone because there are more baby? Or did we have more baby because there were bone? I don't know the answer to that question. But we interpret these data to mean that our intervention supported good uh, bone development. There was no difference is between the two groups in bone mineral density. Okay, so we also wanted to get a sense of, uh, some sense of development. So we did the, this procedure of visual development acuity and uh, let babies see stripes. The smaller stripes, the faster their uh, visual cortex is developing. We don't see any advantage whatsoever for four-month-old babies to see better, but it's a good measure of how fast the visual cortex is maturing. And uh, what we saw here was um, that uh, babies that were in the intervention group, they had better visual acuity during, uh, at four and six months corrected age compared to the control group. Um, at the end of the 12-week intervention, there was only one baby in the control group and two babies in the intervention group that were not still human milk feeding. So lots of human milk feeding. Um, there was no differences. At, we did three-day test weighs at 4, 8, and 12 weeks. No differences in terms of the amount of human milk uh, provided to the baby, suggesting during the intervention anyway, uh, you were not seeing um, a reduction in breastfeeding as a result of this intervention. When we added formula in, 
um, you did see that babies in the control group consumed more total milk, whether from human milk or formula, and we do see that in the literature. Babies that have lower energy density of their feeds do tend to upregulate their intake, so that sort of fit with the literature. Um, we had, because we had these very detailed 24-hour weighed food uh, records from all the babies, we were able to see what nutrients were likely explanatory for these differences, and these are the three that popped up. Did not see differences in energy intake between the two groups. As I said, the control group upregulated, but they could not catch up for differences in protein, zinc, or calcium. Um, now, what we did see at six months corrected age in this group was we did see a reduction in the amount of human milk um, at six months corrected age. So you can see at six months corrected age, the control group, they consume 70, uh, uh, 70 mils per kilogram per day versus 32.8 mils per kilogram per day. There was no difference in the time that uh, babies were introduced for solids. And the other thing I like to point out, both groups breastfed for a very long period of time. But we do see after that very intensive phase where there was lots of lactation support later on in the intervention group we did see some reduction in breastfeeding. Now why was that? Were the families more used to giving other stuff so they felt uh, more comfortable weaning the baby? Or there's a body of literature that also says when babies are growing really well mothers feel more comfortable about weaning their babies. So I want to talk to you about another study that just came out uh, this month in uh, pediatrics. It's a study done in Denmark. And these babies, uh, they recruited slightly larger babies in the study. The gestational age were approximately similar. And extents, um, unlike our study where we looked at predominantly human milk-fed babies at discharge, these babies had any amount of human milk at discharge. So any, so it could have been token breastfeeding or exclusive breastfeeding. And they excluded any babies, and then this is what the term that they used, and I think it's probably similar to ours. So people felt uncomfortable sending them out the door without some kind of nutrient enrichment. So um, they did, their intervention was to four months corrected age. Remember ours was about till two and a half months corrected age. And they had a huge, their samples very large. So 207 breastfed babies, 113 preterm formula fed babies. Um, and they were served as a reference. Now the difference was also in addition that these were not predominantly human milk fed babies, they, um, they only fortified a small amount of milk. So whereas we uh, fortified half the milk every day, they fortified only 20 to 50 mils a day total. So it was a very small amount, but slightly for a longer period of time. And uh, these are the results for this study here. And the only difference they really saw uh, was that the preterm formula babies in general all grew better than the human milk fed babies in boys or girls. But in the girls, the lengths were better in the babies that got this small amount of fortification. There was no difference in the boys. Now, they also did not see any impact on breastfeeding, but their breastfeeding was very short. Remember I showed yours, ours were breastfed for about 52 weeks. These are like 10 weeks, so shorter, less breastfeeding. Um, and they did not find a, uh, any impact on the intervention. So how did they conclude from the, this study, the authors say no impact on breastfeeding, but the amount of fortification given in this study was probably too low to make a difference. I would also say um, if your babies are getting a lot of preterm formula discharge, you may not even need to 
put anything in the human milk, if you know what I mean. So the formula-fed baby, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. So the ASPGAN Committee on Nutrition, again, for formula-fed babies, they say if the babies uh, discharge subnormal uh, weight for um, their age, that they should probably get um, some nutrient-rich to term or 52 weeks. The AAP, up until the most recent version, they used to suggest uh, a nutrient-rich formula for babies to nine months corrected age. It's not in the most recent version. They've taken it out. And the, um, the reason for that is probably, I would guess, I don't have an inside scoop on that, but probably had a lot to do with the, um, the, this uh, Cochrane Review by Henderson. And in this Cochrane Review, they found seven good, uh, good clinical trial studies. There was so much heterogeneity in the studies, they couldn't really put them together in any kind of meta-analysis. But they did put two of the studies together. And what they found was at six months corrected age, they found no advantage to nutrient-enriched feeding. In fact, for weight, they almost saw a slight disadvantage for nutrient-enriched feeding. Um, they saw the same thing for length, and they saw the same thing for head circumference. Now, what does this tell you? I will tell you, at six months corrected age for formula-fed babies, the action is over. The, the issues for babies at discharge are immediately after discharge. Also in the meta-analysis, any babies less than 2,500 grams were eligible. So these were not VLBW babies. These were babies with birth weights less than 2,500 grams. And in a lot of the studies, they did a lot of exclusion in terms of if they weren't growing normally at discharge, they also excluded them. So I think that I don't disagree with this meta-analysis, but you have to kind of think about what kind of babies were including this meta-analysis. And the growth point is six months is too late. If, because the action is early after discharge. So here's all the studies that looked at um, post-discharge nutrition. Now, when you go through my reading of the, uh, these studies, I would suggest if there uh, does appear to be an effect in very low birth weight infants very early after discharge, and it mostly occurs in the males. So summary of the evidence, very quickly. So... Um, you can see a lot's going on. You have formula-fed babies, human milk-fed babies, some with lots of human milk, some with no, not a lot of human milk. So I know uh, the subsequent speakers are going to talk about a standardized approach, but I'm not going to go down to that level, but I'm just going to give you my musings on the matter. I think a very individualized approach appears to be warranted, but you do require close monitoring after discharge. So if the first discharge visit you're seeing these babies is four months after they go home, that's way too late. They've Things have happened. A lot of times the pediatricians in the community have had to deal with it. Um, so a really close individualized approach right after discharge, especially for the human milk for babies, is necessary. What infants may benefit from nutritional intervention after discharge? I would say the predominantly human milk-fed babies, for sure. We're talking about very low birth weight babies again. If you have some time, what is your discharge practice? If you keep all your babies for 40 weeks until their term-corrected age, they might be okay to go home, but you have to, you know, kind of see how they're growing without fortification before you send them home, as opposed to watch that experiment unfold after they are home. Um, if they have persistent morbidities, for sure. If they have an uncoordinated uh, suck and swallow, for sure they're going to need some, some, some kind of nutritional intervention. Are they, very, are they born very small and are they discharged early? Uh, when are, uh, babies are at the greatest risk early after discharge, and um, 
you have to ask the question, will nutritional interventions after discharge and breastfeeding, and I would suggest that they're minimal, at least early after discharge, if extensive lactation support is provided. And to how to provide the nutrients, I think that will come later, but here's one review article we wrote some time ago that might give you a start. Of course, be careful of powders, they're not sterile. And if breast milk supply is insufficient, your way to go around this might just be to supplement with a nutrient-enriched formula after discharge. Okay? Thank you. You have been listening to a Prova Education live event presented on ReachMD's series, Grand Rounds Nation. Be sure to join us again for the next episode of the nation's best Grand Rounds. Until then, I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz, and thanks for listening.